Resonate is a community that loves like Jesus, and we want you to experience that with us together. I want to encourage you to tune in to this online broadcast each and every week or attend our weekly gatherings in Sherwood at 10 a.m. You also can join in on one of our community groups that meet during the week either here at the church building or in our homes. So to find out more about our community and ministry or to give to our ministry financially, please visit our website at resonatelife.org. So this is the last of the series, A Priest and a Physicist Walk Into a Bar. And today's topic is called creation. So the question that I am answering today is this. Is it possible to be a rational, scientific, or science-interested person and be a person of faith that takes seriously Genesis chapter 1 and 2? So this is a controversial topic because I believe there's a lot of confusion with the book of Genesis, especially the first several chapters. So one of the reasons, like we've talked about each and every week, why people are leaving Christianity or don't sign on to Christianity, really, is they don't find Christianity to be a reasonable faith that believes in reality. And one of those realities is the age of the earth. So as we look at what the discussion around creation, the story in Christianity has been like over the last upteen years, it's clear that there's a lot of confusion and a, and a lot of the conversation has really gotten messed up. So I believe that Christianity does go beyond reason, like from the natural to the supernatural on occasion, because we believe in the supernatural. It goes from the explainable to the unexplainable. Yet Christianity should never go against reason. And that's where we get into trouble. So a lot of times Christianity does not answer the questions the world is asking, and Christians prepare to answer such questions. So for example, the world is not asking whether or not the earth is 4.53 billion years old. It's not a question in their minds at all, yet we are fully willing and able to defend and hold up that the world is six to 9,000 years old, like the world is going to ask us this question. So we turn these topics into hills that we're willing to die on, separate in relationship, call people non-believers, and it's like the job of the Christian to defend God against science and those that subscribe to scientific theories such as the age of the earth. Well, when I exited college, I was pretty confident in the age of the earth. I had a science degree, biology, and I believed the earth was 4.53 billion years old. I wasn't questioning it at all. It wasn't even a thought in my mind that I would have to defend that. I was sure of the age. Volumes and volumes of books had been written to show the science of aging and why and the what. And so, so I believed what it was. But yet then I step into a pastor's office and they look at me with my science degree and they tell me that what I believed was not true. They pulled out this magic book called the Bible that I thought of at the time, and they showed me one chapter in one book of this onion skin leather bound Bible, tried to convince me that if I didn't believe that the age of the earth was 8,000 years old or less, I couldn't be a Christian. So if you could imagine what I felt like, 
And what I thought of that person is they explained to me such a thing. Well, it's important to remember that not all of our beliefs as Christians are created equal. It is helpful to construct a weighted belief hierarchy as, let's say, concentric circles with those beliefs near the center holding more weight, uh, but yet some are negotiable. And and so out from the center becomes negotiable, towards the center becomes non-negotiable. And this topic of creation, the how and the when, This is definitely a negotiable topic. It is not connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in any way. And so there's a problem, though, is I find the argument, like I find science to be a reasonable process, and I find the counter-argument to science definitely an unreasonable argument. So we need to sort some things out. So unfortunately, Christians have historically divided themselves along opinion lines where these opinions should just be merely topics of disagreement. So Resonate wants to be a people with a very firm belief in the central ideas, the non-negotiables, that which is connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But then concentric circles out, the soft edges, we are negotiable on those things. We're building bridges, not walls. And so we don't want to be hedge fighters and property line dividers. So when we look at the creation story, we can hold to this strict theology that God created our world. We don't hold to a strict naturalistic evolution where there's no there's a closed system with no creator or intelligence outside of nature. We believe that God created things. So we don't need to die on a hill of how and when he did that. God created it. And much of it falls in the opinion type rings. It's a theory. It's not a litmus test for salvation. So for each of the how and the when questions, there are many different opinions of belief that honestly, if you believe them, they're acceptable because they don't go against the revelation of God and Jesus on the cross or the gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They, they're not a central idea of the Christian faith. So some of these examples of what people believe are this, the how did God create and the when did God create? So the how, there's an idea called creation by fiat. And God spoke it, and it happened in six literal days. That's what creation by fiat is. God spoke it, and it literally happened in six days. When did God create it? Well, that literally would mean the young earth creation. Earth is about six to 8,000 years old. Then there's a progressive creation theory where God created original species and then microevolution took over over a period of time of what we have today. And the when is the day-age theory. Each of the six days mentioned basically represents millions of years of Earth history. Then you have theistic evolution. God worked through the evolutionary process to bring about humans and species that we see today. And the restoration of the gap, the, the when, the restoration of the gap is the Earth is as old as science says it is, But something happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 in which corruption entered the picture. 
Well, I would say all of that are guesses and conjecture and and really it, you can't find yourself in any of those theories and that and those ideas without just guessing and making things up. I look at the Bible as what the Bible is. It's literature. It's ancient literature that's given from God written by man. And so so we believe that the Bible has something to say in every single pericope, every single paragraph, every single group, every single book, every single chapter, there's something to say about the people that it was written to and also God who gave it to us and what is God telling us about himself, what is God telling us about us, and what is God telling us about creation. So I subscribe to the literary framework view. And this, in Genesis 1 and 2, the author's point was never to answer scientific questions about sequence, about the how and the when, but rather it's to teach us something about God. And so I want to teach us something about God through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So there's two different ways you can look at the Bible based on the creation account. You can see life through the filter of Genesis 1 and 2 in really two different ways. And one of those ways is the literal way. This means that life birthed out of chaos and calamity. Everything in Genesis 1 and 2 is a literal historic writing. Sequential, literal days, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, God rested on the 7th. And in this view, the entire Bible needs to be read as if the, the, the authors are conveying all historical facts. So if you videotape the events referenced in the Bible, those events would correspond directly and exactly to the Bible's descriptive stories. Well, there's a challenge here. It becomes problematic because either it's all literally true or it's all literally not true. Well, this is, this is problematic because that does not take seriously the fact that the Bible is full of different types of literature and literary genres, and that different literary genres have their own rules for being read. So the Bible has narrative. The Bible has poetry, poetry within poetry, poems within poems, prophecy, history, gospels, epistles, apocalyptic literature like Daniel and the book of Revelation and it has parables. So you wouldn't certainly read apocalyptic literature the same way you read narrative history. You just don't. And so the literal view breaks down for me because you wouldn't read all the Bible in a literal way. So the second way to read Genesis 1 and 2 and to see through a lens, either literally or metaphorically or a lesson to learn through it, we learn those lessons through the lens of Christ and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. So Christ came to usher in something brand new, and that was called the kingdom of God. So Christ built the kingdom of God. So Genesis 1 and 2 says that God created all things that existed and that God created the first human beings and that they broke faith with God and that changed their faith, their relationship with God, each other, and the world. I believe that is exactly true. That is the lesson that we can learn in Genesis 1 and 2. Yet I do not think 
that the way these creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2 have to be read in literal descriptions of what materially happened in creation, in the creation process, and how the first humans came about. Well, Adam and Eve messed up. I understand that. There's a lesson there, but Adam means humankind. Eve means mother of all creation. So humankind and the mother of all creation messed up. Well, the reason why I believe this is because of the way the New Testament describes Jesus as the creator and how Jesus created. So I'm a New Testament Christian. I see life, the principles that God gives us, the commandments that God shows us through the lens of Jesus, through the law of love of the greatest command to love God and to love others that Jesus gave, and also through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I see through that lens in everything. I also see through the lens of Jesus when I read the Old Testament. If he ushered in something new and the Old Testament was pointing to the creation of the kingdom of God through Christ as the head, then I need to look through Christ when I am trying to understand the purpose and the writing and and also the the, the way it was written, the Genesis record. So you can't look at the Genesis record and conclude really anything about how God created, because it has patterns and parallels and poetry within it. So the text in Genesis 1 is more topical than sequential. It seems to be poetically getting at a truth that isn't necessarily literal. There's like a message within it that I need to understand that goes beyond 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and on the seventh he rested. It doesn't have to be read that way. And and then it's no less true if you read it a different way. So a, key, a few key important understandings about Genesis is like Genesis 1, 1 through 5. That's the day one, day two, day three, all the way through. And in the beginning, right? You, you hear the in the beginning in Genesis 1. So the text in Genesis 1 is not trying to inform us about the beginning of all time. And I know this because the original Hebrew in in the beginning, there's no definite article. So it actually is a beginning. That's important for later, in a beginning. The text is also not trying to defend some creation from nothing type just because God spoke it into a existence, let's say. So it rather it says that the earth was formless and void, and it was formless, and there was a condition there in formless that needed form and order to it. So there's a problem, though. It's just because you have patterns and parallels in poetry, I know this from the rest of the Bible, it doesn't necessarily discount the history of the Scripture, whether it's literal or not. So you have to look elsewhere for that truth. I definitely do not believe that the God I know created the world out of chaos, calamity, and disorder. I believe that God is a God of order, peace, and so there is a creation made with purpose and design with a process. So if you look at Colossians 1, it says this in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So if you look at this scripture, it basically is saying that Jesus was in the beginning when God created, and therefore Jesus created himself. So Jesus was the one who created all the universe and the life that was and is in it. So the question then arises, how did Jesus create? And and therefore you can go to other passages and entities that Jesus created. You find that Jesus created, like I said before, the kingdom of God. So now you have an example through Jesus, because that's our lens, through Jesus of how he created. And there are seven parables in the Bible that teach us what the kingdom of God is like. And two of those parables tell us how the kingdom of God is basically built. So one of the first parables that tells us how Jesus created the kingdom of God is in Mark 4. And it's like a seed that's planted and sowed into the ground slowly grows and becomes something that you didn't expect when you planted the seed in the ground. So it changed. It grew. It, it could I say, mutated and evolved into something that you never expected it to be. Started out small, grew to something big over a period of time. If you look at the Matthew 13 parable of the leaven and dough or the yeast and dough passage where Jesus relates the kingdom of God like like yeast and it moved and it rose, it caused it to rise and it became something again like you didn't expect. It became an entire loaf of bread. So could I be so bold to say that the yeast placed in the bread moves and evolves and changes and mutates into something that you never expected to to be over a period of time. So if Christ is the creator of the kingdom, and if scripture tells us that he is the creator in the beginning, is it possible that Jesus and his methodology has remained the same from beginning to then using that parable in the building of the kingdom of God? Well, I would say yes, that I can now see that it is an opportunity or it's now a possibility that science is giving us a reasonable solution to the how and the the what of creation. And we don't stand against reason Yet these are like non-salvational issues, their opinions. So when I engage in conversation with somebody about this, I need to look at them as a reasonable person that holds these kinds of views because Jesus shows that he even uses opportunities of change to create something that's completely different than a seed or a small portion of yeast, that he uses change and possibly could have used the words mutation and evolution to create something big that started out small. So how I look at what science presents to me, it's a theory of the age of time. Evolution seems like it's pretty consistent with how Christ has created all along. 
Well, the opinion area of Genesis is how did God create? And then another opinion area is when did God create? These ages of time. Well, I don't believe that Genesis 1 and 2 teach us anything about age. Why? Because I, I tend to really take a liter, literary framework view of the entire Bible. The Bible was meant to teach us something. The text was there for a reason, and it's built and framed a certain way. So Genesis 1 and 2, the author's point was never to answer scientific questions about sequence and when, but rather to teach us about God. So the main point of seeing all the different ways in which we could possibly construct the specifics of creation and the narrative to conclude have how God created and that God created puts us in a mystery that we don't understand, yet that mystery becomes supernatural. That mystery goes beyond nature, and we don't stand against the natural because we believe in the supernatural. So the text is not an explanation of how matter came into existence, but rather a description of how God takes something that's formless and puts form and order to it. So the Genesis record was one of many creation stories in the Near East at the time it was recorded. And it almost seems like the author of Genesis copied some of the stuff of these other narratives because it has definitely many similarities and awkward de de descriptions of these other writings. And there's a but here, but, 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 but. There's also some very important key differences. See, the story of Genesis was written about people back then, the, and, and, and God creating the world back then. It was written about then, but it was written to a people at the time it was penned down. It was written as this account or this story or this narrative, this teaching was given to the people at the time it was written. It was not written to Adam and Eve. It was written about the beginning of the world and God and all that was going on. And so these, these differences from these other narratives, since it was written to the people that were dealing with many gods and dealing with people that were subscribing to my God is greater than your God type of mentality, these differences were to show that God is like no other God to the people it was written to. God didn't fight to win and then out of death and victory then create something. That's what other people believe they're gods, but rather God sacrifices and dies to win to have a relationship with his creation. God breathed new life into that creation just like now he breathes new life into us just as he did in creation into those people that were reading the Genesis record for the first time. So God desired to be in relationship with us, just like then, just like when it was written, just like now. So I would argue that Genesis has nothing to do with history and the how, even the when. If you believe that, I believe potentially you have missed the entire point of the Genesis record completely. The point was to show God is greater than any other God. 
Because why? He loves us and is willing to sacrifice for his creation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are greater than any other God. Thank you for the Genesis record that shows us that. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made, Lord, back then in Jesus and in our lives today. Lord, forgiving us, calling us new, and making us into a new creation, ultimately in a new heaven and a new earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.